Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. It's time to get your weekend started right with the big old bag of mail. Uh, before we get into some of your questions, which again, you can submit to the big old bag of mail by going and leaving us a five-star review. Within that review, put your question. We will add it to a future mailbag episode. Uh, real quickly, a few uh, items of business and a little bit of news. We've gotten a lot of Super League questions. We are not uh, ignoring them. I, I feel like it's a conversation that we can continue and maybe revisit. And then, uh, of course, the story has changed. Perhaps even uh, a sign of how difficult it would be for this fantasy Super League to happen in college football with the fact that it collapsed uh, so rapidly. I know some of those questions came in Monday and Tuesday. The news, of course, uh, being that the Super League is suspended with what, nine, pretty much all but three of those 12 clubs uh, backing out and uh, and stepping back away from it. So thank you for those. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to consider uh, for more off-season, big-picture stuff. We, we might get into that. I, I know that we even talked about uh, you know, the potential of like super conferences and what teams would and wouldn't make the cut. All those things could go into the Super League questions uh, that we can address later. And, uh, and then uh, another order of business uh bud correction you wanted to get right at the top of the show uh yeah so i said uh i said pepper rogers unfortunately and uh that's not uh that's not the the defensive coordinator at img it's actually pepper johnson uh, i don't know why i said pepper rogers pepper rogers died last year and is about 40 years older than uh, pepper johnson is so well, I give. I should have that. corrected you too. I forgot. I just kind of went through it. There's a pepper. You know how many peppers are there? So I'm, that's on me too. The, the not catching it. Listen, I'm I'm always gonna have uh, some grace and understanding, especially for anybody who has to deal with the uh, like anybody who who does goes deep into recruiting. Your your mental database is too deep with first and last names, right? Like, cause I, I catch a little bit of it when they've got me in that college football, college basketball crossover. And I start using like a first name of a football player and the last name of a basketball player. And it sort of gets mixed up a little bit. And you're doing that with an even larger database of players every single year, recycling it over. So I'm, I, and I hope that the listeners are always going to give you a, a little bit of grace for uh, some mix ups <laughs> like that. Very much appreciated. Yeah, we we had a couple of eagle eagle eared listeners uh, point that out, and I was like, "Yeah, I did that." 
Do you know how many times I've had to really focus on the Chip Kelly, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, Butch Davis mix like those? It takes a while. I still don't know the Atlantic and the Coastal. Like, good luck. Oh, what? I'm still trying to figure those out. Like, it's hard to keep track of all these names and conferences and realignment in college football. On this show, though, like you got some good backup for that, Danny, because I, I know right. him. Chip knows him. I'm pretty <laughs> sure Tom right. knows him. Yeah. Do you remember the sideline reporter? I don't know who it was for sure, but she slipped up on the Butch the first name. Didn't say Butch, but she actually said bitch. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it, was, yes. it was pretty funny. And I want to say it was Butch Jones, and she said Bitch Jones, and people ran with it. Oh, yeah. man. Clip I called it. him Bots Jones one point, <laughs> but that was on probably purpose. On intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was. Um, I, I, quick question. I'm just gonna fire this one across the board. What's a, what's the interest in uh, first round of FCS playoffs this weekend? You gonna flip it on? You gonna fire off a uh, a lock? How's how's you know? Because I was I, looking at it, and I was like, ah, like am I am I is Petrina Bobby Petrino just being there? Is that gonna bring me to the table? Missouri State's an eight point dog. Uh, in its game against North Dakota, not North Dakota State. There are Davidson, uh, my father's alma mater, is in there as a as a big-time dog, and I'm seeing double-digit dog low total. I mean, if you want to just fire off some <laughs> underdog plays just trying to uh, to play some principles, then you could do it there. But I, I, I am not quite there, but I... I know Emory Hunt would be able to uh, to be able to get us fired up about it. What's y'all's level of interest in uh, this first round of FCS playoffs? I feel like I had a take that I was wrong on, and I'm never afraid to admit it if I missed on a take. So when they were thinking about moving football to the spring, right, for the Pac-12, Big Ten, other conferences, that was with COVID, they were going to delay it. I was like, that's an awful idea, horrible idea. Don't do it. Go in the fall. Logistics, everything. But – at the same time, when the FCS said they were going to wait until the spring, I was like, this is a fantastic idea. Maybe they should do this forever because mm, I that. the FCS gets buried. You know, they get buried underneath, you know, the college football, the FBS played. No one no one pays attention to them until the playoffs. Uh, if they go to spring, maybe it's new exposure. I think I was wrong on that take. I just don't know. You could put the FCS wherever you want it. I just don't know if there's the brand awareness or the ability to click in to say, yeah, I know North Dakota state's a dynasty, but are you looking for them on a Saturday afternoon in April? I just don't know if that's the case. So I, I think I was wrong on that take and it kind of has played over into your question. Like how much, if it's on, I'll flip it on. Maybe it's not that much different than a spring game, but like Texas A&M spring games, North Carolina spring game. There's, I, I, there's a bunch, like I'll probably gravitate to those, especially for the first round of the games. Now, maybe it gets the final four, a little bit more on the line, a little bit more dialed in. I would watch the playoff games, but I just feel like they're still kind of on the back burner, which I hate saying. I'm just being honest. Right. I, kind of the same as Danny. Um, my, my wife is pretty hip to the college football schedule, and you know she knows like weekends in the fall I'm working. And pretty good number of weekends in the spring, I'm on the road doing recruiting stuff. I, over the years, she's kind of realized, like, mm, this this isn't actual work, right? <laughs> like, well, sitting here watching FCS games in, in the spring. So, I, I I don't even really try. I think we got, like, a kid's birthday party and some other stuff to go to this weekend. So, um, if, if I do watch it, I will probably just try to live bet it and arbitrage some stuff. But, like, I don't, I don't, 
I don't need to know any of the, pl- the players' names to do that. You know, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll look at some of the sharper books and live bet some of the slow moving books. And and base yeah yeah basically you're just uh, you're you're tracking that even almost like stocks like you might not even be watching the game you might score track that thing and same just, same thing like when we were when we were betting ping pong dur- during you know the pandemic <laughs> hey that like I would never wish a, another uh, t- summer 2020 but I mean if FCS wants to crush it just you know if they were playing in July 2020 like the Bundesliga. Boy, I was in on Verda Bremen, you know, like I was, <laughs> I was getting my deets down on Bundesliga as the first league back. Okay, a uh, little bit of news, very timely news. I was not expecting this. I had no heads up, but in the same week that we released the Oklahoma Drill Draft, we find out that it is being reported that some of the contact rules for fall camp at the NCAA level are being changed in a way that would include the elimination of the Oklahoma Drill. Now, I would say that in the large picture of you know, shifting in rules across football in general, you're probably taking uh, your lead as college football from the NFL, where we've seen some of that contact continue to get lessened and lessened. Um, it, what, you know, I, like Danny, I'll throw this to you first. Like what from the um, competition standpoint do you think are going to be, you know, either the impacts of this, how are we feeling about it? Because it, on one hand, you could say we were always headed this way with sort of the trends um, and, you know, again, like the way that contact has been lessened at the NFL level. But do you uh, do you see this as a as a good thing? I, I'm having trouble trying to digest it. I feel like I'm trying to just accept it because we were headed this way anyway. Yeah, we really don't have a choice. Um, I don't know. I'm torn because there's an old school part of me that says, man, these players are getting soft. Um you know, the game is changing. We've eliminated a lot of the hits, which I do think is a good thing. Uh, I think we are kind of, this is the evolution of the game. It's becoming more basketball on grass. I think you're seeing longer, faster players as opposed to some, and I think you'll see them thin out along the offensive and defensive line too, and just get more athletic. Um, same time, like, I do think you have to prepare your body for the game of football. And while I think the intentions are good, I wonder what this leads to in other areas. Um, you know, does this lead to more potential, you know, either muscle pulls or ACL tears or other injuries because the players aren't ready for the full speed of regular season football? And so I think there will be some drawbacks. And I've said this all along. If you asked any player at any level, what he would choose. Like if you said, Hey, you can have a concussion or you could have an ACL. I think almost all the players would say, I'll take the concussion. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe in 2021, when there's more awareness of concussions, maybe a player says, no, 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 I'll, I'll sit out for a year. Like I'll, I'll take my knee. I'll have my brain all the time. Um, maybe that's the, the change, but I haven't noticed that the players that I to talk to, that really want to play football and get better are frustrated by the concussion rules and want to get better, want to prepare their bodies for the game. Some of the stuff doesn't matter. I don't know how many teams even do Oklahoma drill or bull in the ring or some of these drills where this rule probably needs to be implemented is high school and peewee football, where you have some idiot coaches who think they know about the game and yeah, I'm going to get my players tougher uh, that's that's where you see some of the idiocy play out in it. Some of the things I think are good. I mean, I would go back to Urban Meyer trying to preach toughness. I mean, it is a tough physical game. That's what's frustrating for me. At some point, I think we just have to acknowledge, hey, there's risks inherent with the sport. 
We have to be okay with those and move on because it'll never be safe. And I feel like we're trying to make it safe. And if you want it to be safe, it's going to turn into something dramatically different. We look different, but it still looks kind of the same. Like if you want it to be safe, it's going to have to look totally different. And I don't want that. Yeah, I'm I'm very like pro player. I think I have some, you know, kind of progressive views about the game. But ultimately, just cards on the table. This is an assumption of the risk sport, just like boxing, right? If you want to play, know know the dangers, know the potential payday. All right, are we all cool with that? Fine. Like I totally get, you know, the guys suing the NFL because they didn't understand the risks of concussions, you know, 20 and 30 years ago. Now, I don't know if we fully understand them, but I think we certainly understand them you know, more than we used to. I, Danny just nailed this. You, you shouldn't be just bashing each other's heads to install toughness, you know, with in, in youth football and probably not in high school either. Like that's really where a lot more teaching needs to occur, you know, at, at those levels so we can have players be smarter, understand the game more. Um, and you do have a lot of coaches who try to substitute you know, toughness and, and that, that kind of stuff to make up for a lack of knowledge about the game. I mean, you see that a lot, like even at the high school level. But, yeah, I, I worry about the game getting too soft. I know I'll probably get roasted for that take, but I, I think toughness and hitting is, and the violence of it is a part of the draw to the sport. I, I don't want to lose that completely. I don't think you'll there's get a, roasted. There's a piece of me too. Go ahead. I was just going to no, say. I don't think you will either. Yeah. I, I, I actually think most listeners might agree. Like I know, you know, and now this is probably an age delineation too, but if you're over 40, you're probably thinking these players are soft. If you're under 40, you're probably thinking, hey, we need to protect the players. I mean, I've the, the younger crowd definitely play it, pay the players. The older crowd, hey, we give them scholarships. There definitely is sort of an age delineation there too. I just I know for, no one likes to practice, right? No, no one. And football is a tough sport to practice. You know a great way to get out of practice? Man, I got dinged. In the head. Because every coach has to take you out of practice then. So when I see the numbers and concussions when they started studying this in 2015 and they're up and they say 70% of them occur in practice and 50% of them occur in preseason practice, the concussions that take place during the season, I'm like, well, duh. I mean, I saw players fake injuries all the time because they were tired and worn out. Want to get Now, those were hamstrings, groins, groin pulls, little nicks because they just didn't want to practice. You know, I know there's a lot of players that maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't want to get hit. Oh, I got dinged. You are out of practice. You use certain buzzwords and the trainer's responsibility, he has to take you out of practice. So there's a sinister side of this too. And there isn't everything. Like there are just, there's always players or, and I was a player looking to take advantage of some of those too. I might've been one saying the same thing if I had gotten nicked and I wanted a day off, you know, so some of these numbers within themselves, I think are a little bit skewed as well. The other concern of mine, too, is it just feels like we're going to go to a place where it used to be unlimited. Then it was a certain number. I don't know what it was before 21 padded practices, but now it goes to eight. Is it that long before we're at zero? Like we don't and the Ivy League already does it. I don't think they tackle it all in practice, you know, because they're the forward thinking, you know, smart cerebral group. They want to do that. But I think you'll see it play out in the field. I think you've already seen poorer tackling than you've seen in the history of college football because they're not practicing it very much. Those who are making the rules don't have a lot of leverage because they're losing all these other fights, right? Mm -hmm. Like if if you were like full-blown, like negotiating with a player's union, then there could be ways to cut deals that potentially could lead to more players practicing uh, more uh, hitting or something that could be negotiated out. But there's just, 
I, I think that you're you're already giving up so much ground just to be able to maintain the current student athlete university you know college uh, amateurism relationship that it's it's definitely going to continue to uh, to go that way. But um, you know it'll be interesting to see. The only way we're going to know is just to see what happens when the rules go into place, when we have data points from the first three weeks, and we have things like injuries, and when we've got coaches and players you know either on the record or off the record telling us whether they feel the same amount of preparedness or less preparedness. Uh, it'll be very interesting to track moving forward. Again, we did not intend to ha- way, have our Oklahoma drill draft seen- when that news breaks, <laughs> but it's just right. the way it went. We're just exploiting these college players, but I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but you've seen a little bit of a contentious back and forth between the NFL players association and uh, association and the NFL because the NFL teams are saying, hey, we're ready to get back to work. It's about time when the offseason workouts happen. And several organizations, players are saying, we're not going back because the COVID protocols aren't in place. I roll my eyes so much at that because it's about players not wanting to practice. And I get it. I didn't want to have to live in New York year-round. I didn't want to have to live in Denver year-round. And they got a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be able to have an off-season where you can be at home with your family, you can train on your own, you can do Zoom meetings. And they're making the case. And maybe this is – and. I don't there maybe there wasn't that much of a difference in the NFL. I think the offensive numbers are up higher than they've ever been, but they're saying we did a whole offseason Zoom remote. No one noticed, you know, during the season. We played 16 games, we had a Super Bowl champion, no one complained about the product in the field. So the players are taking advantage of this a little bit. But the point being, maybe we sit here and talk about this in two years, college football still looks exactly the same, you know, and it probably will. You know, the, I do think it'll affect some of the tackling. But they'll figure it out, you know, and I do think it changed. But I think the game is already changing. It's already evolving to a place where it's not as physical as it was 10 years ago. That is uh, Danny Cannell, who did his uh, global honeymoon during OTAs, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I was back in time for the start of OTAs. Officially, okay. I was back in time for the start. <laughs> okay. Hey, Cover 3 listeners. Go check. Check the record. (laughs) Chip here, and I wanted to let you know what's on CBS Sports HQ this week. As always, CBS Sports HQ is your home to start your sports news day with live updates kicking off each morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And HQ is always your home ahead of the evening's action with live picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world each day at 6 p.m., Get your news from what happened the night before at 8 a.m. All there live. Great analysis coming uh, from Ryan Wilson, Kyle Porter, all over the place. And then at 6 p.m., get your picks for that night. And as we get closer to the NFL draft, you know what? Just leave HQ on all day for the latest NFL news, rumors, and mock drafts ahead of round one on April 29th. Think of HQ as your ultimate NFL draft war room. Like I mentioned, I've seen Danny on there. He's he's got like full like team needs and different uh, specific rounds, players you can target there. I mean, we we talk about the library of, of first names, last names, and, and profiles. 
Danny's locked and loaded. The the notepad has got him delivering the goods on CBS Sports HQ. So leave CBS Sports HQ uh, on all day. You can check it out on your computer on CBSSports.com or via the CBS Sports app on your mobile phone or TV. It's always free. It's always on CBS Sports HQ. Get it through the CBS Sports app on your mobile phone or TV or on your computer at CBSSports.com. We're going to start the big old bag of mail with a, a pretty like pretty condensed basic question, um, but I do think that we could at least use it to, to outline some, I don't know, maybe some questions that listeners have always wondered, but maybe not always wanted to ask, um, you, or maybe you just have some assumptions and we can clear them up. So this question comes from Jake. He says, hey guys, love the pod. Best CFB coverage available is right here. Can you explain the recruiting process the recruiting process in more detail at some of the top schools? What is it like at Clemson, Alabama, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma, et cetera? Jake. So like, Bud, I'm gonna let you take the lead on this, but I'm I read that question and I assumed that it was you know, the sub questions that would include like, like, when are they getting in on a guy? How are they finding somebody? Like, what is the uh, process to be able to establish a relationship with them? And how do you continue that all the way through National Signing Day and eventually getting them on campus? We could probably spend a, a whole episode doing an FAQ, but at, at least um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, might have some assumptions that might not line up with the modern recruiting reality. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad you you threw some of those those other questions out there because w- w- when I saw this question in the group chat, I was like, "This is probably like a 90 minute answer." Right, so, right. No, yeah, no. I, it's um, like let's let's take it through the basic stages. You know, the the ways that uh, you know you organize, find talent, uh, contact them, establish a relationship, get it all the way to signing day. Sure. So the the, the three primary ways that, that you're going to find you're you're going to find talent are are as follows, right? So first, there are like scouting and data services, okay? Uh, one that I was literally just at their camp last weekend, so I'll, I'll use them as an example. No favoritism here, uh, but UC Report. UC Report uh, is run by the guys who also run like the ESPN 300 and uh, a couple other you know scouting ventures. They sell uh, cut-up clips from their camps uh, and also all of the uh, data, you know, photos, showing like how, you know, how tall the kid is, what, what his reach is uh, up against verified backboards. You know, the, the 40 times are, are lasers. Uh, it, so it, it, co- colleges feel pretty good about the data, you know, from those events, they're able to see clips against other players. And from those clips, they can look at the other guy's number and they can see, all right, this guy ran this, he's this tall, he's this year, blah, blah, blah. So that Subscribing to scouting services is definitely a way that schools find out about about kids. Um, they also literally will go through uh, their their lists of like your all county, you know, all conference th- those type of lists, and then watch the the huddle highlights. And if they like the highlights, and they usually go watch you know the, the full game of the player to see if you know, what kind of habits he has. So they're you know they all have like you know full huddle or, or full exos, which is the two you know main video providers for. Uh, you know, for college recruiting. So they're all going to do that. These big schools, since the question was limited just to the big schools, they all have, you know, armies of, of scouting guys. I mean, I had three guys follow me yesterday who are like student or graduate intern, basically types who are just in the recruiting office. And their their job is to look, look to kids 
if, if the highlight tape pops, they're going to send it up to like maybe the position coach and then who sends it to the coordinator. And usually the head coach will, will stamp the offer. So that's sort of on like the, that's how they're finding guys and offering guys who they've never seen in person. Um, then you have college camps, which is you know where kids actually come to your camp. A lot of these big schools require you to come to their camp just because they don't want to miss. They, you know, they have the resources to staff the camp, you know, pretty effectively. And uh, they're able to work you out in person, you know, see how you react to certain coaching, put you through drills that they believe fit, uh, you know, fit their system. They're going to take even more measurements sometimes than some of these, these other camps will. I know, I know schools, you know, like they, they're compiling data on middle schoolers for hand size, wrist size, neck size, you know, shoe size, all, all that kind of stuff. So they can track you through your year, especially if you're a kid who comes to, you know, let's say George's camp or something. If you go to Kirby smart camp from fifth grade, you're probably in a system. You don't even realize it, right? Seriously? Like every single year that you show back up. Yeah, for sure. They, they, they want all that data on you to track your progress. Um, so they'll, they'll give out offers, you know, and, and identify kids via their camps. The, the third way is when they go and visit on the road, right, during the spring evaluation period, which, you know, COVID has largely robbed us of. And there's also evaluation period in the fall where you're going to get you know, go on the road and watch kids, you know, in games on Fridays. But um, the, ma- the main evaluation is done when they're going to your practice in the spring. You know, you'll see, like, I'll go to a lot of spring practices normally at the high school level, and you'll see, you know, hey, here's the guy in slacks and, and a polo. This is, uh, oh, it's, you know, Brandon Streeter from Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're quarterback coach and they're, they're, they're watching some guys and, um, they'll talk with the coaches. They'll usually stop in and talk to the guidance counselors, ask to see some transcripts, things like that for guys who, who they liked. And, uh, while they're down there, they'll also usually have dinner with, uh, with some local community leaders, seven on seven coaches, street agents, wh- whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't want to apply anything nefarious here, but like, there's a lot of times that the guys pulling the strings on these recruitments are not necessarily the high school coach, kind of like the AAU basketball scene is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're able to find out about kids there. And uh, th- those guys know a whole lot, right? Like it's very important in, in modern recruiting that you have people in your program you know, who are tight with the high schools, but also tight with the, the, the trainers, off-season coaches, seven-on coaches. The, the guys who are spending a lot of time with these dudes, the, the guys who are driving them, you know, to and from high school campuses, if that's not, or to college campuses, if that if that's not the high school coach. So those are generally the three ways that, that they identify kids, right? One is digital, the other two are in person. You know, one of the in person being on campus, and the other being, uh, you know, being off campus. Um, then generally, like you'll watch and interrupt me if I if it doesn't make sense or if I'm skipping over something, but you know, generally they'll they'll watch film uh, in recruiting meetings, right? As a staff on the whole, or uh, you know, as a staff separated so you may have you know offensive meeting defensive meeting different schools do, do it different ways and you know, just for for instance i know what clemson does they, they have basically like they have a recruiting board and then they have different levels on their board i think they call it like above the fold below the fold mm-hmm. and that dictates you know how much communication that they're going to send to that player they're going to have little tags on there like he has an offer or he doesn't have an offer um you know, is he committed? Where is he committed? They're going to have information. And then they literally have a board, you know, sometimes it's nameplates. Sometimes it's, you know, just written up um, with, with all the information. There's a digital copy as well. I mean, it's literally somebody's job to make sure that the, the big board matches the, the digital copy everybody can access. You know, so if you're a coach and you're visiting somebody at a high school, you can pull it up on your phone. Okay, here's our board. This is where we think this kid is. He has a an offer or he's like potential close or they might tag it like, 
you know, offer if, if you verify in person, mm-hmm. right? Which like, hey, we like the film, go see him in person. You, you can offer him there. Um, and that's important information for the staff to have because like, what if a kid tries to commit to you? If it's not a committable offer, then you need to be able to slow play the kid. And like, hey, man, I really love you. You know, obviously we like, we like your, your stuff. We just need you to come work out for us in person at the camp, which is the way they generally stall kids who they like, but they're not quite ready to accept a commitment from, you know, early and on. And I imagine Especially that happens a, a lot because we're talking about top programs where there's more players who would like to play for this program than there's necessarily spots with the scholarship offers. And specifically spots right now, because you may be their plan C. Mm-hmm. Once plan A and plan B go elsewhere, all of a sudden you're their plan A. So they need to keep that relationship alive, right? It's like having a, you know, a backup girl. You're pretty sure you can ask for prom, but you're going to, you're, you're going to shoot your shot first, right? With, with, with the girl who's probably going to turn you down, but like, there's no sense in not asking. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how they go about managing that. Um, there are software programs out there that, that track coaches phones to see who they've called how long the call was, making sure they do their calls, how many text messages they've sent, how many tweets they've sent, you know, like DMs, Instagram DMs, whatever. I don't, most of them aren't using TikTok, but, uh, and they can't track you on the video game stuff. So some coaches do use video games like to, to talk to kids, but the software just for knowing some guys. Let's get on Fortnite and let's, let's use our little headset to be able to just like continue this relationship. Right, exactly. But like, so programs are tracking who they're calling, who they're messaging, just to make sure like coaches aren't forgetting to do it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I know some programs make their guys stay in the office and make calls, but less and less now because of technology. Like they're allowing them to do, do the phone calls from home, as long as they're able to track it and make sure it, that the work, you know, actually gets done. Which kind of reflects how America's going too. You know, like you're not necessarily have to be in the office just to get your work done, as mm-hmm. long as we can track your your, your stats. Um, so that's that's kind of how they keep track of uh, of you know who, which coaches are are doing the messaging um, for them. You, know, you got to coordinate with like. So like, when do we want to make? I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, it's like with the top programs. At what point does it do you re- get passed up to the head coach? You know, like when it's like it, the is that a late in the game? Is that different from program to program? Is it are there some head coaches that are very involved from the beginning? Are there some coaches that? Uh, because they understand the way that demand works at their particular school that, yeah, like when they come to campus, they, they get a little bit of time, but for the most part, the relationship is managed by the position coach. So it, a lot of it depends on the kid. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But are are you asking more as far as like face to face time, or are you asking more like, is the head coach having to stamp the offer is, yeah, this is a kid we want to offer. Uh, I imagine most head coaches are stamping the offer. I think it's yeah. more like face-to-face or even phone call time. I think it's like resource of time invested by the head coach. Is it something that happens later in the process because it's like, okay, now it's finally time to lock this thing up, uh, you know, early signing periods coming up in eight weeks. I, I don't know what the dead periods are, but um, you know, it's been managed mostly by the position coach for a year and a half. And, and now it's time to, to pass you up to be able to seal the deal. Like, is there any coordination to that or is it totally different across the board? There's definitely some coordination to it. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because I, I want to backtrack on this for a second. So the relationships are primarily managed by the position coach and the area recruiter, right? Almost every school out there, even the ones that have basically unlimited resources are going to break, break their, their region up by areas because it doesn't make sense for, to fly the position coach to 60 different cities to see 60 potential quarterbacks, right? Like you're going to have your area recruiter 
He's going to report back. That's why you have those, those staff meetings. Hey, coach, I may be the DB coach, right? But I have Orlando as my area. I saw three quarterbacks here. This kid looks like he could play for us. This kid, I'm not so sure. Maybe I want your opinion on this kid's definitely a no. He's actually like 5'8. He's not the 6'1 that he listed on his, you know, on his huddle profile. Um, so th- those two guys manage the relationships. Um, I will say a trend that I've noticed increasingly, we, we mentioned this with, with Tyler Booker, right? Uh, in last week's show, the, the offensive tackle from IMG. I am increasingly seeing more and more guys say that my best relationship is actually with somebody who's not a coach. So at GA, some sort of analyst or assistant. LSU had some baller analysts like two years ago that was helping them with their class. Uh, Eddie Gordon, the, the guy at, at Georgia, who Tyler Booker said his, uh, his best relationship was because we're, quote, basically the same age. You know, Eddie Gordon's like 23 years old. He, he played for uh, you know, Louisiana Lafayette, and now he's like an offensive line GA at Georgia. So, you know, those relationships are important too. I, I think a lot of it is – you need to judge based on the kid and the family, right? Sometimes you got parents that are not going to fall for like the traditional recruiting tactics and you need the head coach to come in there and, you know, sort of shoot straight more or assure them that like what they're getting. Um, Other times the kids really want to talk to the head coach more. And some kids are just totally cool being, you know, being handled by the position coach, especially if they have a longstanding relationship with them. You don't typically see head coaches dealing with underclassmen as much unless they are just no doubt studs, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you, I think we have, what, three, five stars right now in the 2023 class, maybe? Like, guys, we're real sure we're not going to have to drop out of the top 100, even if they're, you know, backslide some. So I would say head coaches spend a lot more of their time, for the most part, talking to the current class, whereas position coaches and area recruiters are spending more time talking to younger kids. Danny, how does that line up to sort of the, like, your experience or even still being, like, you know, tangentially aware and, and talking to coaches and stuff? Is 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 that sounds like it's for the most part still, I mean, the, the methods of communication are more widespread and modern, but it sounds like organizationally, I mean, the, the ones that were able to get it done, like that's, that seems like it's been able to be carried across time, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, and I think there is kind of a hierarchy in the process of, you know, the, the foot soldiers who are doing more of the grunt work, the guys that are the analysts or the GAs or the lower, they're probably, a little bit more out in the road early with the underclassmen, like you're saying, maybe develop a handshake. Hey, they're just a, a very casual relationship, start to get it going. And then when the player builds a higher profile, then all of a sudden maybe it's the position coach or the regional coach like Bud's talking about. And then kind of the ultimate when everybody kind of like the GA goes back and says the position, hey, you got to see this guy, man. And we'll check out this guy's film. And then the position coach sees it, likes it, then he bumps it up the ladder, and then everybody's on the same page, and then you kind of go with this full-court press. For me, it was kind of interesting because the process – now, this is 20 years ago, so this is definitely changing, but similar type of – you know, and I played at a really hot, small high school. We'd never had anybody go Division One before. I didn't start playing football till my junior year, so the spring of my sophomore year, which was my first time putting on pads, didn't even know how to put them on – we're at spring practice and it's just us. Like there's no coaches there. Then my junior year, I play, we win the state championship. And then my junior year spring practice, all of a sudden I'm seeing these guys and I have no idea. I was not a huge college football fan. So like George Perlis is at our practice. who was a head coach of Michigan state. And I didn't even know who he was. 
Uh, but I saw this green, you know, blazer, like windbreaker on. And I see some of these other guys who are younger assistant coaches and you kind of, it's just the colors. They wear their school colors and you see them. And I'm like, what? Like, all right, what are these coaches doing? I figured they were just kind of making the rounds. And I forget my coach called me in and he said, look, this is not normal. We do not see this every time. These are coaches here to watch you. And I was like, oh, really? And then I remember Ronnie Cottrell, the head recruiting coordinator at Florida State, said, we have you listed as our number one quarterback in the country. And I was like, what? I had no idea like what recruiting was all about. And then at the time, and I'd be curious, I don't even know if Bud, I still see players reference this. But there, and he, when he said the thing about Clemson tagging, like who's getting the materials, the mailbox was full every day and some schools like for whatever reason South Carolina sent me more paper materials like almost every single day I got some sort of brochure handwritten note from a coach uh you know some sort of information from South Carolina and it was but every day it was like some other school where when it was all done I had well over a hundred schools that had sent me letters but then it's well, how many schools called? Probably cut that down to about 30 or 40, kind of to gauge the interest. Then how many head coaches actually came to a game or practice? Probably about 20, 25. You know, so it kind of whittles it down. And I think the school's interest and my interest reciprocated to them kind of spurns on those relationships. Like Notre Dame sent me a letter. I had a coach call and I'm like, really? I watch your guys' offense. Probably not the best fit. And it was kind of like, okay. So we realized like we're probably not a match made in heaven. Right. But they kind of wanted to feel that, hey, you know, it's multi-sport athlete. Maybe he'd be in. I didn't run that. I didn't run any kind of running offense in high school. But you kind of figure it out. So there's relationships that kind of fall by the wayside naturally. But I was very, very fortunate because I was highly recruited. I did get to choose who I feel bad for. Not bad for because it's a great situation to be in. But I just had a nephew who was recruited as a three, maybe four-star basketball player. So like Bud was saying about – and I never – and maybe this did happen. Maybe if I would have gone to – I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't think it would have because I think I could have gone anywhere I wanted to and said, if I'm ready to commit to you. But I could imagine the disappointment because – Let's just say coaches change their mind. Let's say my senior year, I had a bad year of being told, we really want you. We really want you. We offering you a scholarship. So to a young 17, 18 year old, you're thinking that is a scholarship. And I see everybody sees Instagram and Twitter. Hey, I got another offer today. I got another offer. And while a lot of them, they may be true. The majority of them are just verbal offers that hold no weight. And then all of a sudden you're that four-star quarterback who maybe goes to school X and says, I am ready to commit. Well, guess what happened? That five-star just committed last week. And all of a sudden that offer, which you thought you had, is no longer there. And that, that makes some really weird, you know, uncomfortable circumstances that are just really unfortunate. And I hate that because I see players get wrapped up in it all the time. And it's the really like dirty nefarious part of the business that I don't think people can understand unless you've gone through it, you know, and that's, that's like, there leads to a lot of disappointment and hurt feelings. And you realize just how fast, how cutthroat a business it is, which is probably one of the reasons players are so quick to transfer. They've been mistreated through the recruiting process. They're like, screw this. I'm going to take care of mine, you know, and it's an unfortunate underbelly of the recruiting world. Danny, uh, 
Did they wear shoes that were way too nice for the rest of the uh, rest of the outfit they were wearing? <laughs> the shoe craze is definitely more no, like newer craze because they were wearing original Jordans if they were wearing Jordans, not the collectible Jordans that are out now, like the re-release version that you can only find on StockX for five hundred plus dollars. Yeah, it, it always strikes me you're, you're seeing this guy wear you know just regular khakis nike polo is probably like 60 bucks and like 500 dollars shoes i'm like yes. it's raining today at lehigh man like this is <laughs> right. like it's so, unnecessary like every time yeah yep. so by fun. the way my nephew just signed with clemson shout out acc there you go to play hoops national letter of intent yeah so it's official not a verbal because he got a bunch of offers but this one is locked in stone he's headed to clemson yeah um I mean, listen, you're going to be a part of a hard defense, you know? You're going to be a- <laughs> That fits his mold perfectly. Yeah, you-, you About 6'9", six, 6'10", six, hardworking kid. Yeah. Let's go. Brad Brownell getting a good one right there. Coming up on the other side, uh, we look at this NFL draft class at the quarterback position and see if there's any comparisons to one of the most notable NFL draft quarterback classes of all time. That and more next- Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS. Monday, 9, 8 central. On CBS. And streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, so we're going to do a ton of NFL draft content for you coming up in the next week. We've previewed it. Uh, We're going to be doing a a show going into the NFL draft, sort of talking about some of our storylines, players to watch, uh, things that stand out to us. The people who actually watched these guys, not just the YouTube or Twitter clips. Uh, And we're going to have a Thursday night instant reaction show to the first round and then cycle back at the end of the weekend. Some of the best steals, the players uh, who landed in day three, especially that we think are going to have a great chance to succeed. Same with undrafted free agents. Okay. This one next question comes from Barnaby with five quarterbacks and possibly six. If someone takes a chance on Kyle Trask projected to go in round one next week, how would you compare this year's quarterback class to the heralded first round quarterback class of 1983 top to bottom? Also would all six round one quarterbacks of the 83 class be first round picks if they played in quote today's college football And on the flip side, given the NFL's affinity for drafting quarterbacks in round one, would an NFL team today reach for a Gary Kubiak or a Reggie Collier in the first round? (laughs) I love it. First two comments. Chip, you must have taken over Barton's internet services. (laughs) Oh, no. Because I I know you... (laughs) First of all, you're on a delay. So even when I asked that question, it took three seconds for you to respond. 
But then you know how you do it's going to be windy in Laramie. <laughs> You've had a couple comments where you're like on the other side of the break. We've gotten that. And then the other thing was, did you say et cetera? Yeah. As opposed to et cetera? Yeah, it's the proper Latin trans it's a proper Latin oh, pronunciation. Geez. Here comes the oh. Chapel Hill. That, that, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I never Are you sure that's the official Latin? I took 3 years of Latin in high school. Is that for sure? Hey, I, I took four and uh, did all right on the AP Latin test. It's like, <laughs> it's a dead tell language. Us you went, t- tell us you went, you did not go to Florida public school without telling us you went to Florida, you did not go to Florida public school. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think? Uh, 1983 to uh, 1983 to this one. All right. Now I know we've reached peak overhype of the draft class because it's starting to bother me a little bit. And it's not a knock against any one of these guys that are coming out, but we are just in a different era with how we value quarterbacks. Clearly, we are in an era where we were overdrafting quarterbacks. I really only think Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback that would be number one overall of any, like the last 20, 30 years. I think the other guys would probably be top 15. Uh, and some of them, like a guy like Trey Lance, who hasn't laid down that much tape, I think he'd probably be a second rounder 10 or 15 years ago. So maybe that, that that's kind of getting you like, I'm looking at some of these quarterbacks and the teams that are thinking about drafting it. I'm like, are you sure that's an upgrade? Like, are you really going to go this direction? Like, are you going? Because I think it's a massive risk on their hands. Clearly, they think it is. Now, it's going to get talked about because if we see him go one, two, three, four, which I don't think is likely, but even if we see go one, two, three, which is likely, I don't think, I think you have to wait for history to decide on potential alone. Yeah. Some of them athletic and some of them put down amazing college stats. Yes. But I still don't think they would compare to the class of 83. I mean, that to me goes up. There's the all time, you know, I'm, I'm stating the obvious here. And I, I have serious, and I'm sure people had concerns. I mean, there were concerns about the class of 83 too, but I just, I don't, I'm very skeptical of this class, which makes, it's just the nature of the position. I mean, you guys have heard some of these stats. I'll give you this one that I saw the other day. Uh, and I think you guys, you guys, we might've even have listed them on here from 2009 to 2016. So a seven year period, uh, 22 quarterbacks drafted in the first round. None of them are on the team that drafted him. Half of them aren't playing anymore. That's a seven-year window, 09 to 2016. 22 quarterbacks. Half are not even playing anymore. And then the more recent, 2007 to 2019, three first-round quarterbacks already gone from the teams that took them. Like, it's just a crapshoot now, but teams are willing to throw caution to the wind and saying, we got to take them because we don't want to miss out on the guy that could be the next whoever, which I'm trying to figure out who is the guy you're trying to be. Like maybe you should spend more time looking for the next Dak Prescott or the next Tom Brady, because those guys, you know, fourth and sixth round picks, like there's a lot, there are more success stories almost from guys that were selected later. I, I get what Danny's saying. I, I would a little bit disagree in, in this regard. Previously, I think it made sense to try to find value at the quarterback position later on in the draft. But, you know, the latest CBA ha- has made it far less punitive if you take a QB in the, in the early rounds of the draft and whiff, right? Like, it used to be if you took um, – who's like, Jamarcus Russell is probably the most famous one, right? I mean, that, that contract, it just – it cooked the Raiders for a while. Nowadays, 
you're actually incentivized to, to, to take a quarterback in the first round um, because you if you hit, you actually get the extra year of club cost control for five years instead of four. And the bonus structure is just so depressed because unions eat their young, right? And they voted basically to cut the rookie wage scale by a ton to give more money to veterans, which obviously if you're a veteran, you're going to do that. Um, so like there's not a huge penalty for missing. I mean, right. like all, all those misses, those clubs, the only thing they're suffering from is the fact that they miss. They're not in salary cap hell for three or four years after the miss. So for my, my opinion, I'm not sold on all these guys, but still keep firing. If you don't have a quarterback, you can't win in this league. That's truer than it's ever been given the passing numbers keep going up. So just keep firing. And, you know, if I'm the Dolphins, I would think about taking another quarterback. I know that's crazy, but like, unless you're like a million percent sold on Tua, take another guy. Like, all the rest of your roster doesn't matter that much unless you actually have a QB, man. So, like, like make sure you have one. I, I say keep firing on it. But, like, four or five years ago, pre-new CBA, totally agree, because that would that would hurt your franchise for a long time if you missed. Right. I mean, I, I definitely I, – I sound frustrated, and I am, but you're 100% right. I mean, I just said it the other day about Tennessee. Yeah, bring in all – I would have the same philosophy in the NFL. Like, bring them in. Bring as many as you can until you find that guy. The thing that gets interesting, though – Jimmy Garoppolo, pretty good. Like, I, he's not great, but he's pretty good. Are you sure you're getting an upgrade? Maybe. But that, to me, is a massive risk. Matt Ryan, I feel, still has, like, some good years left in him. You're going to pass on some incredible, talented players because maybe that's why I don't think they take a quarterback at four. Like, you're going to pass on some incredibly talented players. When you have a Super Bowl, I think you can win a Super Bowl with. Like, I think that's insanity. But I don't think that happens either. I'll be surprised if that happens. 1983 of those six quarterbacks – Three became Hall of Famers, uh, John Elway, Jim Kelly, and Dan Marino. The other quarterbacks in that class were, let's see. Uh, Who's your name? Yeah, it was. It was John Elway, Jim Kelly, and Dan Marino went on to be Hall of Famers. Ken O'Brien was a pro bowler, and Tony Eason was also in that class, and Todd Blackledge was a top 10 pick in that class. So I, I'm going to say that you do not have three Hall of Famers in the 2021 no. NFL draft quarterback class. All right, one more here. This one, we get a lot of playoff proposals. Um, you know, sometimes the, everyone's got their own twist to it, but I thought this one was interesting. It comes from Walt. Hey guys, love the pod. I had a question on an idea for playoff expansion that I have not heard talked about much. I am a fan of eight teams with six conference champs and two at-large teams. As a Notre Dame fan, at-large are crucial. The twist I would like to see is instead of five power five champs plus the highest group of five champ, what if the auto bids were the six highest ranked conference champions regardless of of Power 5 or Group of 5. While the results would likely be the same most years, I think this would solve some of the problems brought up about auto bids, such as a 7-5 and five team upsetting an undefeated team in the title game or last year when number 25-ranked Oregon would have got in over number 12 Coastal. I don't think this would ever happen, but I'm curious if you prefer this over the 5 Power 5 plus 1 Group of 5 proposal. So it would keep the selection committee's job very important 
Because if the selection committee has, going into championship Sunday, if the selection committee has a group of five team playing for a conference championship well above some of the underdogs in those uh, Power Five conference championship games, it does set up the situation that these automatic bids, these six automatic bids going to conference champions might not all be to power conferences. And I, it would incentivize or at least seem to provide a little bit more access that in a year that the Pac-12 is down, that the Big 12 is down, that the ACC is down, that you could find a way to get in beyond just having to be uh, competing against other group of five conference champions. You know it would change dramatically? What? The rankings. <laughs> they would figure out a way to make sure those Power Five conferences were going to be at the highest ranked spots to make sure they got in. Two or three losses. Ah, boy, it was a gauntlet this year. What a tough conference that was this year. Pac-12 was just brutal. It really, like, it's just the way it's going to be. I love the way he's thinking. I love the proposal. And that was my first initial reaction when he said six conference champions, two at large. I was like, ooh, where's he going with the six? Um, I don't know. There's, I, you know, When you said... We've heard a lot of different ideas. It felt like I'd heard them all because I've heard so many on social media or people chiming in or radio callers or wherever you run into college football fans. Everyone has a suggestion with how to fix the system. Let's, I like it. Like, why not? I, I don't know if it would solve the, the, I don't know if it would solve the problem that we run into because I do think there would still be an inherent bias to the Power Five schools and the Power Five conferences. I don't know much to add. I think Danny just nailed this. Like they, if you think they cooked the books on the rankings already, they would definitely do it here. Right. Like, I mean, we see it happen all the time. Like Cincinnati highest rank. They're up there. You're telling me who, let's see Well, well, it was a weird year. I mean, it's just, it's such a weird year. It's hard, but there would have been a PAC 12 team probably ranked higher than Cincinnati. They would have worked it out. The, yeah. You had the two two loss Big 12 teams higher than the undefeated Cincinnati team going into conference championship Saturday, right? That was what we were all circling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Iowa and Oklahoma yep. both ranked ahead of undefeated Cincinnati and oh, an undefeated, you know, Coastal. Um that yes, you're just you're just shrugging your shoulders at that point. Um yeah, very very interesting yep. and uh, and thank you to Walt for that proposal. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. It's NFL Draft Week, so get ready. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy.